Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, everybody. My name is Philip Russell. I'm your host of Dirty Steel Toe Boots, a podcast for employers about OSHA inspections, citations, and litigation. This is episode number four. We're going to talk about corporate safety cultures with my friend Mark Ligon. Uh, I'm the host of the podcast, but uh, over the uh, many episodes, I'll be joined by co-hosts along the way, including some of my colleagues. You've already heard from Eric Hobbs and Deanna Hayes, who joined me, and some special guests from time to time, like Mark today. Uh, Ogletree Deacons uh, is the presenter of the podcast. We're a global labor and employment law firm for businesses, for employers. We don't provide legal advice for any particular situation in the podcast, but hopefully it'll provide some helpful content for you to consider. It's intended for employers and will provide some thoughts, ideas, strategies, and tips uh, for you to consider. We specifically are thinking about our our friends that are in-house counsel, safety executives and their team, HR execs and directors, and others in companies who may be involved in an OSHA inspection, citation, or litigation situation. What we've covered before, after our introductory podcast, we've talked about on episode two with Eric Hobbs, who is OSHA. Go back and listen to that one if you missed it, but we discussed there the agency and its new leadership and talked about the critical importance of building relationships with OSHA. Episode number three featured my partner, Deanna Hayes, and we talked about why OSHA might show up at a job site or facility. So today we're joined by Mark Ligon. Mark is the VP of Safety and Risk Management with Basilio Group, and he's here today to discuss about how he has built and maintains a culture of safety. Mark, say hi. Hey, good morning, Philip. How are you doing? Doing great. So tell our audience briefly what's a summary of your experience in, in the safety world. Well, I've been at this about a uh, little over 22 years. Uh, I've been in the executive management position somewhere around 17, 18 years of that time. Currently in the construction industry, we build uh, heavy highway, roads, bridges, uh, some marine work, uh, mechanical. We have some quarries, uh, asphalt plants, and we also have some um, fuel terminals, oil and gas facilities at some of the ports around the country. Prior to that, residential construction safety, um, manufacturing safety, and, um, and some actually food processing and some retail. So a little bit of everything. Oh, good. Well, fantastic. And so you also personally, though, I know give back to industry. You and I co-chair the uh, safety committee for the Florida Transportation Builders Association, along with our friend Jamie Burtock. And then you also serve on the Florida Chamber's brand new safety uh, council. Why safety, Mark? What what draws you into the safety career? You know, I, I like safety because... It's so it's a place where you can make a difference. It is about the people. It is about it's about business as well, but it's about the people. If you're successful in making sure that people are, are thinking about themselves and doing the right thing and uh, and staying safe, you're gonna have a successful business and everyone's gonna be happy, productive, and uh, and continue on. That's basically what what it, I enjoy about it. 
I told you, I warned you ahead of time. Give us a personal anecdote. What's a fun fact about Mark Ligon? Well, for those who know me, I don't know how how, uh, how fun this would be. I'm a pretty boring guy. But uh, a couple of years back, I, I had a, uh, a tricep injury. So I decided um, I needed to get a hobby. And I started uh, painting with acrylic paints. And I actually have gotten okay. You would be surprised if you saw my handwriting. And I think it is it is pretty surprising to to show people. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's something you would purchase, but it's something you like. Ah, it's not bad, and it's definitely unexpected for me. So you're a safety artist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's do the quick. Uh, we'll do the quick OSHA update and the quick tip. Then we'll jump into safety cultures with Mark. Uh, the OSHA update uh, actually this time comes from Congress. Uh, there's a reconciliation bill pending. In front of the House right now, I believe, is where it is. My uh, colleagues in Washington are keeping a close eye on the development here, but how it impacts OSHA is the potential statutory increase of the penalties by as much as 10 times. So rather than dealing with four or five figures of a penalty for a series, you might be looking at uh, six figures for a serious citation. So more on that to come. It is in the reconciliation process uh, and may not um, may not survive the legislative process. We will see it could get dropped or changed. What we're continuing to see under the uh, under OSHA now under the Biden administration, we've talked about this before. More inspections, more citations, higher classifications higher proposed penalties, and then a lot less negotiating, which means we're having to contest a lot more citations. But the big thing we've seen a lot of in the last few weeks, and this is part of what caused the pause in the podcast for a couple of weeks, is OSHA showing up on site more and more. And OSHA doesn't have to tell an employer what their rights are. And that's something I think that everyone really needs to understand because it is really incumbent upon the business. As an employer, you need to know what you can and cannot do and you need to know what OSHA can and cannot do. And that's part of why we do this podcast and why we do our LinkedIn postings and blogs from the firm. The quick tip for today, well, just that. OSHA's focus on these on-sites is what did the employer do or not do? Because they are already anticipating that a lot of times employers will say, well, it wasn't our fault, it was the employee's fault. But as we've talked about here before, you can't as an employer raise that defense Point your finger at the employee unless you've done some things, some of which we'll talk with Mark today about. You've got to have a policy in place, a rule. You've got to have it communicated well to employees effectively. You've got to have a means of making sure they follow the rules. And if they don't follow the rules, you've got to do something about it. And all those things, Mark, kind of segue into the topic with you today, which is a safety culture. The secret trick there is that those are the four elements of the employee misconduct defense. Terribly named defense because it really has nothing to do with the employee, but everything to do with what the employer did or didn't do. So, Mark, let's talk about safety culture. So you and I talked about this leading up to the, to, to the podcast today, and we've talked about this from the executive facing component and the employee facing component. But let's hear it from you. What, what are your major components you're looking for that you've used to implement and maintain that culture of safety? The safety culture, as, as everyone uh, you always hear, is it starts at the top, and, and that's it. If, you, if you're not corporate management, your, your owners, if they're not all in all the time, then uh, then you're, you're probably not going to have as much success as you'd like. At VGI here, Basilio Group, our CEO, 
uh, he has a, a saying, and it's, it's basically what we use to make decisions throughout the uh, throughout the company. And his his uh, motto is just do the right thing. So if you ever get uh, you know bogged down in, in the uh, you know should I do this, should I do that type of questions here and decision making process, it's real simple. You just step back and, and what is the right thing to do. And it, you know, obviously, building a safety culture is the right thing to do for a company. Let's talk about that employee or that executive engagement piece. How do you, other than just the, the look, I get the talk is important, the terms are important, but how do you really get executive buy-in to what you do in your safety executive position? How do you get the CEO and maybe operations folks to really support the safety culture? Well, there's several ways we do it. Obviously. Uh, communicating the, the need, uh, communicating the, the as I said, you got to get that right thing to do or do the right thing uh, attitude. But also, you know, there's there's some R, uh, RIO information out there that you can take and you can show that the uh, money invested in safety and the return that you get is, is multifold. I've heard up to five, five to one as far as dollars invested. So there's a business, uh, you know, argument there to make. But also, you know, employees are valuable. They're hard to, right now, especially in the economy, they're hard to come by. And and you surely do not want to lose one either because they, they perceive your uh, workplace to be unsafe or, or actually because of injury. You know, it just shows that you care about the people who work for you, who basically the employees are the company. So what you're saying is poor, if I can summarize this for you, a poor safety program can not only cost you business, but cost you recruiting it could hurt you in trying to go hire and maintain a workforce uh, turnover employee costs uh, insurance costs all, all different uh, it can add up uh, you, you know failing to have a uh, you know your, your total recordable injury rates and your emr too high you, you know you, you you lose out on bidding opportunities and you know so it, it, the value is there once you've got that executive attention it seems to me that if uh, an, an executive ought to buy into those, which is we could possibly lose bidding opportunities, we could lose revenue, and we're going to have a hard time getting folks to work on the construction sites. I mean, those are compelling reasons. What's next when it comes to the employees? So now you've got executive buy-in. How do you then communicate effectively to the employees that safety culture? How do you implement What programs do you use? You know, obviously, you want to set uh, the company needs to establish their policies, um, make sure that they're communicated and they're understood. Some groups will put together, uh, you know, uh, obviously you have your full policy manual, but some will put together you know, little handbooks that are available with the uh, most common safety rules and practices, and maybe it's something you put in your pocket. In fact, the FTBA website has a, a generic one that uh, anybody can go on and, and put their company's information in, and it helps for. Uh, for roadway type of uh, in the roadway industry, the transportation industry. Other things that you can do, uh, you got to make sure you, your policies are consistently communicated and uh, also coordinated with your subcontractors. You know, it's that uh, you have some companies that are hands off with their subcontractors. And, and so their employees are sitting there. You look over, that's, that's a company employees following the rules, all the PPE being worn. You, you look over across the site and then you have a subcontractor and he's, he's not doing anything. So that's an inconsistent message and you can't have that. What about stop work authority? This is an area that interests me quite a bit because I see lots of companies have in their policies and even in their training, this idea that all employees can stop work at any time if they, if they believe that what they're about to do or what they are doing is unsafe. Do you guys have that rule at Facilio? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. The, I mean, the, the key is obviously you, you want to make sure you train the employees to, to recognize the hazards that are in the workplace, train them on what to do. And, and, and number one, if, if you don't know what to do or you're unsure, you've got to be able to stop, take a minute and, and ask, you know, and make sure that it is safe. Just can't, just can't continue on. Stop work authority is probably one of the most important things that we have at the facility group because, you know, that, that's a, that's a potential near miss right there. If we, we can, or, or an injury, if we could just stop, take a breath, see what's going on, ask questions. And, and one of the other things with the employees, though, is, is that's one way to get them involved. And I think employee involvement is key to a, a good safety culture. How do you get employees involved? I mean, and, and let me specifically ask a better question, which is, what about when you catch employees doing it right? It seems to me that a, a safety culture is not just about catching employees breaking the rules, but what about catching them doing it right? How do you handle that? Here at uh, within the Vasilia Group, our companies, we have a, a program we call, uh, it's called Caught Working Safe. And it's real simple. Uh, we, we ask uh, management, uh, anybody in the supervisory role, office role, uh, vice presidents, presidents, obviously the safety department will do it. And um, when they're out at the job site and they catch somebody, uh, you know, doing the right thing, working, working safely, and it could be, you know, a, a, a one-off type of uh, um, task that they're doing and, they, and they've uh, gone through, they've done their JHA and they, they're, I'm sorry, job hazard analysis and they, they're, they're doing everything properly. Or it could be just the other, you know, the equipment operator and every time you walk, go past his loader, he's got his seatbelt on and He's operating in a controlled manner. Uh, you ask him for his pre-shift inspection, it's done. Those guys, we like to recognize them, ladies. And what we do is we, we have a, a, some sort of company logoed item. You know, uh, could be cooler, Yeti cup, uh, shirt, that type of thing. We have a hat, company logoed hat. And on the back says, I got caught working safe. And a hard hat sticker. And they can, we, we put it on the hard hat. It's a way to recognize them. And they're instantly given a reward based on following the safety rules. It's like, hey, great job. Uh, and all I ask is the, uh, the management, what they'll do is they'll send a, uh, a photograph of that employee with a quick little email to me telling me what they did right and uh, what they were caught doing properly. And what I'll do is we follow up uh, with a postcard. And I personally send a postcard to each employee thanking them um, for, for working safely and being part of our uh, safety culture. So you said JHA, so that's job hazard analysis, or some companies call it job safety analysis. And, and in my world, in the OSHA world, whenever I'm working with a client and through an inspection or even litigation of a citation, I find that those forms just get an awful lot of pencil whipping uh, by supervision and foremen, uh, uh, you know, project managers sometimes get involved. But how do you avoid folks uh, and here, I'm going to really specifically point to supervision and management. How do you keep them from just pencil whipping those forms and making them really meaningful? Well, you know, I, I had heard once that no one gets into construction to do paperwork. Um, so I can see where that may get some pencil whipping in, and we have to be uh, realistic about the situation. Uh, in the end, a job hazard analysis is as simple as, you know, what, what are you doing? Uh, what can hurt you? How can you perform the task in a manner where you don't get hurt or someone else? So uh, what we do is on a uh, we've made it a little less formal on a daily basis. 
we have a, a combined space entry, uh, you know, other other type of thing like that. Obviously, JHAs are going to occur, but on a daily, if we're doing the same same type of stuff out there on the roadway, the foreman at the pre-shift meeting will have an individual talk in a group, but individually call out each employee, ask them what their job is for the day, what equipment they're going to be using, what's the environment they're working in, and uh, what hazards are there. Uh, how can they get hurt that day? And what are they specifically going to do that day to ensure that they do not get injured or some or injure someone else? So um, we use a at, from some use a whiteboard and they'll write things down on the whiteboard and it'll get erased for the next day. Uh, we may not have a form uh, that we're sitting on top of for a JHA every single day in those situations, but we effectively get get a JHA or job safety analysis performed each day with each employee. On a similar note, let's talk about uh, sort of the accountability piece here. And I know that you regularly do audits and inspections, but tell us more about what that means for you and how you implement those with, again, I know paperwork is not what even your safety team wants to do all the time. You didn't get into safety, just like you didn't get into construction for paperwork. You didn't get into safety for paperwork, but these audits and inspections are important. Absolutely. And uh, it's also it's important for several reasons. You, you want to document uh, not only what you found and not that everything is great uh, on the job site that day, but you want to document what corrective actions you, you found and what you corrected. What we have is we utilize a tablet-based system. Uh, they just use iPads or phones, go out there, um, uh, safety checklist that we created ourselves specific to our work. And each, uh, although at the end of each uh, audit, um, and you may have so many observations that were performed and so many corrective action items needed, but the reality is what we, we really look at, uh, so you may have a score, and we tie that score into the, the field supervision's uh, annual bonus at the end of the year. Um, and what we look for is the leading indicators. We're not looking for, obviously, this is a leading indicator um, identification tool, which is important because this is before the accident occurred if if it does the and then what we do is we we track the corrective action it's extremely important because uh the corrective action it may be something you know hey this, there's some uh housekeeping issues here let's get that cleaned up right away we'll put in the uh, the deficiency we will uh and then clear the corrective action and that that manager gets credit for correcting that action so Although they get, they may get dinged for finding corrective action items needed. Once they fix them, we we will help bring them up a little bit in their score, so it gives them an opportunity and an incentive to to work to correct, to look to find and correct items. Some items, let's say, if we have a piece of equipment that has an issue with it, we may need to park that, and then we have to involve maintenance. We have to involve potentially purchasing parts. So you might not be able to correct it that day. We'll go out and give a corrective a, a date where the corrective action item is due. At that point, once we start to uh, correct these items, we clear them out and it allows employees, uh, those managers at the end of the year, possibly to move up a, a, a step or a grade in the uh, in the bonus score for them. So there's, yeah, a, there's so a little dollar amount added in there. So it really is about, it's not about the paperwork, it's about trying to make sure that we strive to reach that safety culture we're trying to achieve. You mentioned, I think, near-miss incidents, uh, or if you didn't mention it, I thought about it, 
near miss. Talk to us, you know, briefly about how you handle near miss incidents. What do you do in the, you know, the incident investigation for those and how it fits in with what you're trying to do? Well, near, near misses, you have to take extremely seriously and make sure that they're reported. That's another part when you talk about the ways employees can be involved. Um, reporting unsafe issues or near misses is extremely important. And also getting the employees involved in investigating those near misses uh, helps out quite a bit. It gets everybody on the same page. And then sharing the information, you know, that, that's key. Communication throughout the, throughout the companies or throughout the uh, divisions are important to say, hey, look, you know, we, we saw this. Uh, no one got hurt, thankfully, but uh, here's, here's what happened. Uh, here is what we found uh, um, needed to be corrected. And going forward, anybody, you know, looking into this situation, make sure that, you, uh, that you're aware of this. And that way we can avoid injury in the future. You know, something I've seen employers do, I, I don't know if you guys do this, Mark, but is to involve in the, the employees involved in a near miss is you get them involved in the training that may flow from the near miss, the retraining or the reminders or the toolbox talks going forward. Uh, do you think that's an effective way to get the employee engagement when we had something that almost was tragic? A absolutely, that is. And, uh, you know, you give me an idea. We have a, a toolbox app that we create, a toolbox talk app that we created, and we make short videos and we, we bring in employees to act out, you know, or, or present a, a two minute video clip or so that's shown uh, over uh, their computers or smartphones or TVs to uh, employees in the field on a weekly basis. So I was just thinking that, uh, you know, we, we will go uh, after certain topics that, that are involved. We have here at, at, uh, at our companies, we have our top 12 safety um, focus and also some compliance uh, training that goes inside there. But yet, I think that would be a great idea to have the employees who may have been close to a near miss to come back and train people on, you know, hey, here's what happened. Here's the right way to do it. Well, Mark, we're about to wrap up here today, but, uh, you know, thanks so much for all your, your comments, your thoughts, your analysis on this and sharing what you guys do. If there's one thing you would recommend for the audience, one thing that would apply to all employers in terms of building and maintaining that safety culture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. What would that one thing be? The first thing you need to do is see what you have now. Get, get a temperature for your safety culture now. There are tools out there that can be used. You know, reach out to your insurance carriers, insurance brokers. There are employee perception surveys that are out there, and they can really give you an idea as to how the employees see safety within your company, how the employees see the program, how they, how they see uh, management, um, how they feel uh, their involvement is. Um, and basically, the, the company's overall... Um, attitude towards safety, at least through the eyes of the employees. I think it's a great tool. We try and do that here on an annual basis. And, um, and, and you learn quite a lot. It gives you areas to focus on and where you need to maybe uh, shore up the program some. Uh, you start to find out you may be lacking in some uh, uh, training and buy-in in your, in your you know, line management. And it gives you a chance to, to reset there and, and uh, bring people up to speed. And uh, that, that's, I think that would be the first step. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I think you're spot on with that. Asking employees about your safety culture, I think, is more telling than asking supervision or even executive management what you think about the safety culture. 
they'll tell you what they think. They'll tell you what they see and what they experience. And that is really, I think, more compelling and more accurate of a picture of what your safety culture really is. One note I forgot to mention, Philip, sorry about that, is is the uh, perception surveys that we do. There is a management survey and then there's an employee survey. And it's very interesting to see the the difference and how it's perceived. I'll tell you, it's interesting because oftentimes in OSHA cases, you'll have the OSHA will ask for the safety program. They always do. They always ask for safety training. And, uh, you know, all too often I have an employer say, well, we had a policy and we had training and they stopped there. And I think those are actually, frankly, those are the two that most employers can check a box on where you really run into a challenge is the culture, which I think are the other two items, which is making sure folks are following the rules and then taking action when they don't, which is your culture. So, Mark, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your joining me today. This is fantastic material and a, and a great episode. So thanks for joining me today. And audience, thank you all for tuning in today. You know, I hope together we can all continue to make a difference in, in workplace safety. You know, it's, you've heard me say this. It's not about just fighting OSHA or the government. It is about holding them accountable. And it is about employers knowing your rights, knowing what you can and cannot do, and knowing what OSHA can or cannot do. But mostly it's about trying to save lives and have folks go home in a safe and healthy way. Follow us on LinkedIn. Check out our other resources at Ogletree.com. Uh, Mark, thank you again, and I'll see you all next time on Dirty Steel Toe Boots. Thanks for having me, Philip. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.